0: episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried the alcohol experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Kim. Hi, Kim. How are you?
1: I'm good, Annie. How are you?
0: I'm great. So you are in Australia and woke up at four in the morning to do this. <laughs> yes, I am.
1: <laughs> so it's a bit very dark outside. So I've got my lights on in here. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for having me on. It's great.
0: Well, thank you for getting up and, and making time. That's just great. So why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning for you? I know it was right around 14, but when when did it all kind of start for you with alcohol?
1: Yeah, so um, it, did, it did all start around 14, I'd say, and that's not unusual for anybody here in Australia. Um, and you do have to look back at your past to see where it all came from, because um, the biggest thing that kept me stuck in alcohol for such a long time was that I didn't identify with having serious trauma. And therefore, I didn't feel worthy of having a drinking problem. Therefore, there was something wrong with me fundamentally um but when I look back um I was an introvert I am an introvert extrovert and that extrovert um took a long time to get out when I was when I was young um and alcohol was like this fabulous solution to that and I had a deep sense of not belonging um which um I didn't really realise until I was older, but I was very different to my family. My family loved to do game fishing and I hated it. I got dragged along. I was seasick all the time and stuff. And so I was always searching. I was searching for my people. And. Um, and so, yeah, look, at around 14, I started experimenting. So, you know, I, I went to my first party and um, I drank loads. I got really drunk, um, got a lot of attention. I fell over, got myself a black eye. And that was kind of the start because I got so much attention from that black eye. I was, I was like, you know, I was, I was feeling quite depressed when I was, you know, 13 or something. And all of a sudden that kind of turned around because I got all this attention. So, you know, alcohol equals attention equals all this is who I can belong to. And I started experimenting with other things like cigarettes. Um, and so, again, I could belong to those cigarette people and have those friends. And so I was always searching like, like that. Um, and, and I also had easy access to alcohol um, through, through my later teens. I started working in um, a bar environment, a bit like a TGI Fridays, I think, in America. You'd, I, I used to work in that in America when I was um, traveling, but um, it was kind of similar here in Perth where I come from and so nobody noticed that you know on the weekends I'd take my staff drinks home um, at, at 15 and 16 and so that was really the start of just that normalization of um, it was normal to drink on the weekends if that's how you made money that's how you made friends and that um, coming from an extremely early age just solidified that is just what you do there was no questioning at all um, about it and At around the same age, around 16, um, I also identified with having an eating disorder. Um, And that was um, really the start of all the shame. And, you know, as I got kind of older, because it was, it went on quite seriously for um, the younger part of my years and stuff, I always wondered if alcohol had something to do with it, because it was kind of when alcohol started and and then that started as well, um, because that was quite kind of chronic um and that that was really all, all the, the kind of terrible shame things that that came about, about when I when I was younger and but um there was also this tremendous sense of hiding um that anytime time I was alone that you had to, I had to do something and get away with it and it was a thrill so this feeling of being alone was always associated with I had to go and get a reward and something that was naughty, which was alcohol or cigarettes or something like that. And I noticed that when I got older, that I could never just be alone without doing something like having a drink. And, and, and that, was, that used to really annoy me that, that this kind of process would go on in my head. But look, I'll keep going. I guess in my story, but um, when I hit 18, I um, I decided, or 18 or 19, I decided to go travelling, and I thought that would be the answer to all of my problems. Um, you know, I was I was drinking quite a lot, and um, but I didn't identify really with having a drinking problem then, um, but I did, you know, with the I was very ashamed of the. Um, Eating disorder that I had. And, but I thought, you know, if I traveled, it would all just go away. Um, but of course, you know, when I started traveling, I was with, with my best friend. We went around America to start with. It was just amazing. Um, it just was like this get out of jail free card. And we just went nuts. Like, there was no control measures in place anymore. So we could do whatever we wanted. And so we did and we just drank all the time um, because we weren't living with our parents anymore and we could do anything we wanted um and so that accompanied with you know this eating disorder really led to i think i was in seattle at the time in fact i was i was going through my old diary um and i was having a look about when it, when it was um because i was just interested that i haven't really looked back on that for many many years um but I had a, a breakdown, um, kind of a nervous mental breakdown, and it and it frightened me. Um, and I went and sought help um, when I was in America, and that was that was a real challenge back then because there was no mobile phones or anything like that. You just I remember um, sitting in the um, in the hostel and desperately trying to look up in the white pages for for doctors specialists or anything because I'd ha- I I couldn't function and um, I was going to read to you just a small excerpt because I, I had a look at it it was really um, really awful about how I felt when I was I was trying to get help and I, I was lost in the city because I've been given directions there was no you know you had to get a map in those days the old the old days um, and it's just this part it, it says I, I wrote I feel amazingly bad like a dead person inside. It scares me so greatly. I don't, um, I don't understand what this, what's going on in my brain. Everything's jumbled up and I can't get any of it in order. Um, and it just reminded me about how, just how frightened I was um, that I didn't, I just, I thought there was something fundamentally wrong with me and bad as a person and and really until I found you um really in my early 40s that's how I felt the entire time that this this shame of who I was because there was something fundamentally wrong with me but you know um you know I sought some help but really I I still I didn't go home I kept traveling and one of the biggest things that just helped me was talking about it to my best friend and 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 Letting go of this, this, this shame and burden on me, um, but you know, without getting proper help, I I didn't really get over it. I just learned to manage it, and so um, and same with the drinking. I, I knew that the two were tied in together. Like I just I just knew fundamentally, and I knew that there was no way that I could stop drinking because that would mean I wouldn't belong anymore. I wouldn't belong to people I was with, how could I ever socialize or communicate with with people or have a good time or or be this person that I was, which was the fun extrovert, me, I would have to be this other, you know, boring, terrible, ashamed person. And so I just learned to manage it and and I and I carried on. And and I think it just goes to show that you know, as although we talk about these problems that we have, um, they're, they're, this, they're this part of us, and they're not the whole part of us. Um, I, had a, I had four years that I traveled and I did so many amazing things. You know, I, I climbed the Himalayas, I I backpacked through India, I worked in, you know, five or six wow. different cu- countries and, you know, still carrying this burden with me, but still being a fabulous, normal person, um, just not being able to find help to, to, to fix me, to fix me, to fix the problem me. So, so, so it was still, so you still had to hide that, that part of you. And, and that was a lot, you know, still carrying that burden of shame so what did happen though was when I was then living in the UK, um, I was smoking cigarettes and um, doing a lot of party drugs and stuff and drinking and, and all, all four smoking, drinking, party drugs, and I had the eating disorder. You know, I just felt like there was this this terrible other person that was like this this monster head on me that I had to keep afraid. But anyway, I read Alan Carr's book Easy Way, mm-hmm. and and I I could, that was. A real turning point that I thought oh my goodness you can change how you think and and that was like liberating for me because I stopped smoking and I couldn't believe it and then that gave me the um you know the urge that oh maybe I could cure this you know disordered eating and and you know because I still didn't want to give up the drinking, that there was no way I ever wanted to give that up. I, and I thought then maybe that could become more manageable or, or really at the that, that time still, it was still, everyone was, I was drinking the same as everyone else, just drinking probably quite a bit more um, or more frequently. Um, and so that really spurred me on to, to go and get help um, quite, you know, gung ho. Um, but in, in the end, I came back home to Australia and, you know, with, with really the main aim to, to sort that part of my life out. And um, I went and sought, you know, professional help and uh, that was very expensive and it, it didn't really find, I didn't really have any solutions with, with that. Um, I mean, it's all a part of the journey. Um, but what did happen was, was I got into a relationship and that was an incredibly controlling relationship. Let's call it narcissistic, and uh, and I stopped the eating disorder and I stopped drinking because he controlled that. He didn't drink and he controlled that part of me, mm-hmm. and and it was a solution, mm-hmm. and it was what I I was like, wow, I lack self control. That is that is my problem, and I, I must be defective, and therefore. I stayed with this person for far, far too long uh, because he provided this fabulous solution for me for these problems, and unfortunately, it came with a lot of other problems. <laughs> living in a narcissistic relationship, um, but but that was this um, this realization, I guess that that I was I obviously had a. a, a I was probably I was obviously not like other people I wasn't normal and I had to have somebody else do this for me which is totally not true as I know now so um when I eventually left the relationship um I was very afraid I was really afraid to be on my own because I didn't trust my brain like Mm -hmm. this this level of of trust isn't there um and and it's and it's frightening. And I was always going, well, how do I do this? Because this was like, I was probably like 20, 28, 29 at the time. And to not trust yourself. And I, I always was then trying to be around other people. I didn't like being on my own. Because as soon as I was on my own, my mind went to drinking. I was kind of, I've kind of got over the eating disorder through this, which was great but um, but the drinking was still there because I had to socialize and I loved I loved drinking and socializing with my friends and yet when I was on my own I couldn't control it and this there was this conundrum in my head it's like this this shame that there was something fundamentally wrong with me fundamentally wrong with me and and, I, and that's when I, you know, I really started to put control in my life. Well, obviously you lack self-control, Kim. So how do you control all of this? So I started putting loads of control in. Everything was controlled. And this is when I started. I also started um, in my construction career around this time. So that was great. I could become a workaholic. Yeah. I could work all the time. I could work weekends. I could, you know, make sure that I had the gym in place when I got home. And so, and I, and I see a lot of people doing this who fundamentally, you know, have issues with drinking, but they manage it through control. And then things like, you know, COVID comes along and the wheels fall off, you know. I mean, COVID's come along now, but you know. So back then, what happened was when I really realized, when I really accepted that I think I had a problem, was I had a serious cycling accident and I was hit by a car and I broke my back. I wasn't, I wasn't drinking, I used to ride to and from work as another control measure because that took up lots of time and it was exercise. So I was at home in a big body brace from kind of my chest to my to my pelvis. And uh, I lived on my own. I had a partner. Um, he, was, he would end up being my husband, but he didn't live with me at the time. And I had all this time on my hands at home and um, lying down. And I didn't watch movies. I didn't read a book. I drank. Mm. And I drank. And I sat there going, why, why am I drinking? Like, what is wrong with me now I wasn't supposed to drive either but in Australia there's drive-through bottle shops everywhere like every every corner there's a drive-through bottle shop so I would get into my car in my body brace drive quickly to the local bottle shop go through the drive-through they serve you in, in the car grab the drinks go home and then go and lie down very, you know horizontally in my bed again and um and drink and and then, I, again, I, I frightened myself. I was mm-hmm. so frightened. And I was just so ashamed of what I was doing to myself and, and guilt and, and all of these things. Why couldn't I just sit there and watch a movie? Like there must be something fundamentally wrong with you, Kim. You are just this, this you know, alien. Um, but anyway, I went and saw a doctor. and. You know, the doctor said, oh, Go to AA. I mean, I wasn't about to go to AA. I just wanted to know what was wrong with me. Um, you know, the wheels had fallen off. The wheels had fallen off. And so all I could think was I had to get more control. So it was really about just managing how I drank around that time until I could get back to work. And then once I got back to work and back to exercise and all of that, I could put all the control measures back in place again. And that's really where it sat for a long, a long period of time. You know, I, I got promoted. I went out drinking with the boys. I, I prided myself so much on my tolerance level. It was so high. I could drink all my construction blokes under the table. And that was a great sense of pride for me as well. So, you know, um, I loved catching up with the girls. And then on the weekends, you know, I would friend hop to, you know, or I'll go out and have a drink with them and I'll go and have a drink with them and then I'll catch up with them. So there's all this social network and very normalisation. But when you, when I really look back at that, I was still drinking an awful lot. You know, if I added it up over a week um, you know, I was probably drinking 40 or 50 standard drinks a week when you when you think about how much you're drinking on the weekends and stuff and having a hangover was just normal and joked about and you know that's that's the Aussie way you know that's our culture that's that's you know in fact if you don't then you then you're out um so you know and that and that's the way I kind of could have stayed for a very long time um but always running in the background was You need more control. And also, how much better, how much better or more successful could you be, Kim, if you weren't drinking? So I knew, I I knew I wasn't doing a lot of things that I wanted to do. I wanted to study. I wanted to, um, you know, have other interests. But drinking was my interest. That's, That's all there was room for there's no room for anything else when you're, you know, got to hang over a couple of days a week and stuff, you know, and then yeah. you're recovering through the week and then just going to the gym to carry on. So what, what happened then was, um, you know, I'd met my soon to be husband and, and he got a job over in um, a place called the Australian Capital Territory at Canberra. Um, and so we moved over there and I thought that was fabulous. But that's when the wheels fell off, <laughs> started to fall off. So I didn't know anyone over there, and and um, you know, I, so I didn't have any of my drinking buddies, um, and I had uh, a very, uh, very stressful job. I was working on a lot of hospital projects, building hospitals, and uh, and then I got promoted into a senior uh, management position, a senior project manager. And my husband also worked the way a lot. So he worked with elite athletes and he was over at, you know, Olympics and, and all of this all around the world. So I had all of this time alone, stress alone, that equals perfect storm, equals drinking. And, and I just couldn't, I wasn't I was starting not to cope. And I was I was drinking to cope to cope with the stress to cope with, um to cope with the loneliness and um, to cope with the boredom and there was no one to normalise this stuff now so this this was when I really started to identify with how what's wrong with me how can I how can I fix this mm-hmm. um and uh, you know then. I got pregnant <laughs> so and and they were long fought for pregnancies um and you know um I'd, I was you know up and down drinking because I was trying to you know get pregnant so I'd lower the drinking and then you know I didn't get pregnant so the drinking would go out of go out of control or you'd you know you have a miscarriage so your drinking would go out of control again
0: um
1: yeah. but when I got pregnant, um, sorry it was it was like the best thing that ever happened to me not only cuz i was having a baby but because i stopped drinking and and it was like the best jail i'd ever been in um it was the best control measure and and i was so happy i and i did all these things i was like oh i'm not drinking now I can do all these things I wanted to do. So I started to learn guitar and I started to take like, you know, language lessons and, and all of this thing. And and throughout both the pregnancies, I I kept saying to myself, okay, well, this is it. You've, you've gone nine months, you know, like you, you, you've had all this time off drinking. Why start again? Um, and there were these, I remember specific times too with, with certain emotions that would come up, like really heightened emotions. And I would say to myself, wow, this is, you'd be drinking right now if you weren't pregnant. How, how are you going to cope with that when you're not drinking? But I was very confident that, you know, um, that I wouldn't drink. But of course, as soon as the baby came out, I started drinking again and Mm-hmm. and I, 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 and more shame added on to the previous shame added on to you know the anxiety i mean postnatal anxiety is just insane i mean i was a very anxious person anyway i, I would identify with definitely having anxiety issues um so now starts the breastfeeding conundrum of trying to drink and express at the right time and not let the baby drink the milk. But when he, it was all focused around when I could have a drink and how I could get the milk out to express for the baby so that I could drink enough. And that deteriorated extremely quickly. Now, my first baby um, was... Um, I guess lactose intolerant to my breast milk, and I didn't realize at the time that you could just stop drinking, uh, eating dairy, and it would be fine. But I didn't have enough. I didn't have a good doctor at the time to tell me that. So I put him on formula within eight weeks because he was very sick. And you know what? I was so excited because it meant I could drink. Mm -hmm. Isn't that isn't that terrible? That's terrible. Like. And I felt terrible because I wanted my baby to to drink the breast milk and stuff, you know, because I knew how good it was. But on the other side, I was like, yes, it means I can drink again. And off I went drinking. And you know, and the same thing happened to the next baby, but um, he too was the thing. But I knew that um, I just needed to stop drinking, eating dairy. So I stopped eating dairy with the second one. But uh, but I was drinking a lot with the second one and stuff so i knew that there were there were plenty of times that he was drinking breast milk um when i was drinking and you know and that, that that's caused me a lot of shame you know a lot of shame i, I even remember it that, i think this is one of the one of the terrible things at the um when i had my second baby uh at the in the hospital i was given a a, a bottle of wine a bottle of red wine and it was sitting up there on the shelf and you know, I remember looking at it, and I think my husband opened it and had a little glass, and then he went off. And within 24 hours, I'd finished the bottle of wine. And nobody noticed. The nurses didn't notice. I had a lot of chewing gum on me. Um, and I was still trying to breastfeed it. And my justification in it was well, it was because I'd had a, a C-section oh, well, there's lots of morphine and drugs in my body. What, what difference is it with alcohol as well? And if this is a newborn one-day-old baby <laughs> trying to get breastfed with me and I was drinking red wine. I, I, I just, I mean, I want to cry now. And look, my kids are great. <laughs> they, they, haven't, you know, they haven't got fetal alcohol syndrome or anything like that. But this is the power. This is the power that within the first day of having a baby, you can drink a bottle of wine. <laughs> so, um, so then, yeah, then everything, the wheels really started to fall off um, a big time. And I had to have um, like my own rock bottoms to start to get help. And um, really, you know, there, there were, there were quite a few. And mine aren't anything major. I mean, I've been to AA, and that's when you hear the major rock bottoms, you know, but um, probably the biggest one was, um, which involved my children. Um, And, you know, it was probably my youngest one was about six months old. And I woke up one morning and my husband said to me, um, do you remember last night? And I just looked at him and I was like, oh shit, what have I done? I can't. I couldn't remember, and I and I started just crying, 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 because I knew something must. Something's happened. I've done something, and uh, anyway, he told me, and, and I had breastfed the baby on the couch, and I'd probably drunk a glass of wine while I was doing that, and then I'd gone off and drunk lots and lots of wine because um, I knew that he. I had eight hours, and I could drink and I'd fallen asleep on the couch and I did this a lot I fell asleep on the couch with the baby in my arms but but that night I let him go Mm -hmm. and he fell to the floor on his head screaming um and I I didn't wake up Mm -hmm. I didn't wake up and like, like even my husband was there and he was able to pick up the baby and take care of him but I was passed out on the couch with a screaming baby at my feet and that was enough for me uh, that was enough for me to go, your children's health and being are at risk and you need to do something about it. So, um, and it was terrible shame because um, he, he was away all the time too. And I already knew from when he'd been away before that I couldn't guarantee. Like I used to wake up at 2am and run around and check the children and and, you know, had I changed their nappies? Was the, was the kitchen clean? What did, what did I cook them for dinner last night? You know, all of that, I, I, you know, at 2am when I'd wake up all anxious and stuff, that was a regular thing. So I knew already that, I, that anything could really happen and I couldn't guarantee that I was going to be awake and, and functioning all right. So, so that was the start. That was the start of the journey. And the journey um, was, was long it was long for me. and um, because I I still didn't want to give up my social side because I felt I could ever be social and function again if I didn't have alcohol. I didn't think it was possible. Um, because that was my extrovert. the alcohol allowed that that half of me to come out and do all these things that I love doing. yeah. Um, I'm rattling on is that okay <laughs>
0: no, that's perfect this is so great and thanks so much for giving so much detail I know that it's like I know it's not easy but I I think people can relate so much I mean so many more people can relate to that I can relate to all of this so just thank you Kim it's great
1: yeah yeah and you know the, so so there's this this shame with you know ch- I mean I, I just have carried shame with me from when I was you know 14 years old, 14 years old, and, and this whole, you know, getting away with it, not wanting to be alone, because being alone meant I had to be with my own brain. And this is the statement, you know, when you have children, you realise how much a family network is required to bring up children, it is, it's, it's much for the mother. <laughs> I was so alone I had no one because I was living my we had no family around we had no close friends I'd know nothing and I had a husband who went away for two or three months at a time and here I was bringing up trying to do these babies I was trying to go back to work in a very stressful job Um, and I was hiding a drinking problem and, and, I, and I look back and it was like, and and the shame of this, because I had a senior role as well, I was like, this can't happen to you, Kim. This doesn't happen to people like you. You haven't got any, you're not worthy of a drinking problem. You don't have trauma. You know, I remember a good, a friend said to me once, it was like, oh, well, well, what happened to you? What was the thing? You know, did you get, was your parents terrible? And I was like, well, well, no, I mean, my sister was terrible to me when I was young and, you know, that affected me, but um, I like to socialise a lot. So, so there was this feeling of, like, you're not worthy of having a drinking problem, therefore you need to control everything more. Um, and, and, you know, as the, the time went on, I was stop, start, stop, start. I went to see a psychologist and stuff and, you know, it's all a part of the journey of, of stopping and starting, as you know. And, you know, then I, had, I really had a final incident um, that um, drove me to, to AA because I didn't know what else to do. You kind of weren't around then. Um, and um, I, when I walked through those doors of AA, and AA is a, a fabulous service for people who need it, but um, I have never felt more alone and more ashamed of where I'd got myself to that I walked through these doors and I cried and cried and cried that this was me now. I was now in this bucket of, of you are a different person to everybody else in the world. There is something wrong with you, Kim, and you must now live this life of secrecy and um shame because you are you can't handle alcohol and you now must live with this secret that you must never drink again and um and you have to have and you have a I felt more shame (laughs) I felt more shame there and I'm not saying anything bad about AA this is just how I felt and I always thought and I and I did some of the program I would do any I just want to do anything I'd do anything just to stop drinking right then because um it had me, you know, I had, I had had a terrible incident drinking and driving um, and terrible alcohol poisoning. I'd give myself alcohol poisoning and I'd, I'd done all this, I'd shopped at Ikea and couldn't remember and how all this, all this crazy stuff had happened. And, and I was done. This wasn't me. This was, it wasn't the person I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And I knew that my time would be up pretty short if I didn't stop drinking. And so I had, realize well well this is it okay this is it I'm gonna just have to live with feeling like shit for the rest of my life and never being able to be social ever again and living with this great shame that there's something wrong with you and that's how I lived and but I think one of the good things the best thing (laughs) that ever happened was um they said start start listening to podcasts and so I was like great and so I I didn't like the AA podcasts like I found them just I don't know. They're too churchy for me. Um, And and then I found this one called This Naked Mind. And I'm going to cry, Annie, because... I'm really losing it. When I started listening to your podcasts, it was like... I realised I was normal. There's nothing wrong with me. God, I... this was alcohol and it works the same for everyone and given all of these circumstances this is how it works and and I didn't need to be ashamed anymore and and I listened to them like a crazy woman, and I—I I was like the—I was like the world opened up again for me, and I could—and I could live, and I wanted to tell everyone, and—and and it took me a while to get brave enough to, to tell people, and. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really felt just, and then, and then I read your book after, so I listened, to, I listened to all your podcasts and stuff, this was like three and a half years ago or something, and um, I used to have them all banked up, and I used to travel a lot for, for work. And uh, I was on the road, I was just on the road a lot. And so I would bank them all up and I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get in the car and listen to the next episode and stuff. And then everyone just plopped all this new information. And, and, and for me, all the this, all this science was all this stuff that was missing. And it was this, this link in my, in my brain too that for all these reasons and this, this it, it's like I've got this, this other side of me back. The, my I could become whole again and all of these things that I thought I would have to let go of you know the I love to dress up and, and go out and you know I I I do fancy dress things like I dress up like Elvis and all of that and all these things I th- I just thought oh well you'll have to let go of this person you know that you used to be and, and become this very boring person it was like you gave that you gave that back to me and uh and it, it was uh, it was like you gave me the key to the door to life again. And I found myself again and I found this better version of myself. and, and I think that's why, you know, I ended up studying all the stuff that I've studied with you and, and things like that that I have to shout to the world. and I, and I am. I'm this, I'm this better, version of me and this I'm still this extrovert and I'm still this amazingly social person and i I had to slowly find it but I found all these answers with you of like well you have to feel again Kim and you you have to have those emotions and it was like oh oh these pennies were just dropping and it was just it was just magic it was just brilliant um and and yeah and and, and so it, you know even since then you know life's this this wonderful journey of of living and, and feeling now and not being frightened of it and and you you taught me that it, that's life but you become stronger and you become um you become resilient so that when the bad things come you're like oh well that's okay you know that's life and I'm living it I'm actually living it real now without being fri- frightened of it I'm not afraid of my mind you know there was there was two whys for me you know when you say you would know, say what, what, what's your why why are you doing this you know, my biggest why was my kids you know I wanted to be around I knew if I was drinking I was drinking like over 100 standard drinks a week back in when I was towards the end you know there was a lot of wine going on um but the other one was I wanted to be happy being alone in my house. I, I, I wanted to feel comfortable and not fr- – I was always frightened. Every time my husband would go to the airport, I used to cry, not because I'd miss him, because, because of my mind. It was like it, it had another – you know that's the dopamine you know the, the dopamine was so strong it was it was like how long can I fight this it was like the fight started in my head and I wanted I wanted that I wanted and now I have it mm. I have it I, I can I can be here and I can read a book and I can enjoy my own company Ah, oh, it's like it's like heaven it's like heaven and that annie it's kind of my story (laughs) like, yeah um and now i'm and now i'm helping other people because i'm strong now and 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 really you have a big part of, of that in my life and i can't thank you enough for for doing what you've what you do and and what you've done and helping people like me find myself again
0: Wow Kim what a great story so beautiful um and thanks for being so vulnerable I think like I said I I just think it is so that's what connects us that's that's how our stories really um, are powerful for each other is in our vulnerability but can you um switch gears and and tell us a little bit about what you've been doing now
1: oh yeah (laughs) so um you know this this last year, um, I've become a This Naked Mind certified coach. Um, I always knew when I was listening to your podcast, it was like this is what I need to do. <laughs> so I, I, um, I like I've let go of my construction career and um, uh, and I've become the the coach and a yoga instructor, a breathwork instructor, because um, all of those things have been really important with becoming present in my body and with my feelings and emotions. Um, and I have um, now a few businesses. So um, I've got Reconstruct Drinking, um, where I um, coach men and women, um, either from the from in the construction industry or really anywhere. I have a lot of women um, um, in things like narcissistic relationships or people with eating problems and things like that. And I find that in- incredibly rewarding. Um, and I run, I run a social group here in Perth called Sober Party People. And I've even really got a T-shirt on there. I've created some T-shirts. <laughs> and I think that's really, you know, a real passion for me because I didn't think I could ever have fun again um, if I wasn't drinking. Um, and it's really, I want to give that message to people. Look, you can and you can do it so much better. And you don't have to drink. To have fun and to socialise, and so I've, I've got a a, a Facebook Pay group, and it really is supporting people to sh- to to just let people know that you can. And we go out, and we do social things and, and stuff like that as well. Um, and so that's really great. And um, uh, then we've got you know um, Transform Habits Australia. So we've got a I've got a lovely lady that I'm in partnership with. So we're about to start out. Um, habit retreats, which are based on the This Naked Mind methodology, um, because that was something that I really wanted. So, you know, I wasn't rehab. Um, I was nowhere near going to rehab or anything like that. Um, but I, when I had the children, I, I felt like I wanted to get away. If only I could just get away for a week and, and learn about you know, um, not in a, in a safe environment, and learn about you know alcohol or, or something like that. So we're creating this safe space um, to let you know mothers and, and people get away from it all, who aren't you know the rehab people, but want to want to have that break, that kickstart. So so we're working on on that and transform Habits Australia. Yeah. So and it's been incredibly fulfilling to have this big career change. Um, i love it uh, i couldn't you know helping other people when you're we strong is is really um to me a duty um and you know I, I i've helped a lot of friends along the way as well which has been really fulfilling um yeah so so yeah that's that's what i'm doing <laughs> looking after my two beautiful sons <laughs> which is really great and spending a lot more time with them you know construction careers are um, very um, Full on. So I also, um, I do talks to the construction industry as well. So um, uh, really culture change for alcohol. Um, and that is, um, I think, something in the grassroots of, you know, the Aussie culture um, that <clears throat> we need to just start getting out there. And, and I'm getting out there and I, I have like um, kind of these one hour interactive fun kind of presentations that you know we we talk about alcohol and and really where it comes from in our culture in our Aussie culture and and why we feel like we have to have a drink and and just starting to take that turn about well maybe we don't and maybe we can think differently and maybe we can work together with people that maybe don't want to drink um, or have a problem and and this is how it feels you know to to have a problem with drinking and then um, well for drinking to have a problem with them there's nothing wrong with the person um, and then how to be really inclusive and not be you know alcohol's the only drug that we um, have to ask that people ask you why you're not taking that drug you know and and it, it, we need to change that we need to change that so that it doesn't I always say it doesn't matter what's in your drink and it doesn't matter what's in your glass, we need to all belong. So it's a story. It's really a story of belonging uh, with the talk, the talks that are due to the construction industry. So, and, and I'm, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of that. So, and hopefully that will help anyone that's feeling like they're, you know, need to get help or something like that, that can really spur people on. I wish I wish there was something like that for me to tell me that there was nothing wrong with me earlier. <laughs> than finding you so yeah yeah that's it, Annie that's great
0: so Kim let me let me um close with two questions first of all wh- what is the best place for people to find you like the best link should people be interested in like sober party people or any of the other things that you've talked about
1: yeah probably both of those so Facebook is sober party people um you can join there um and also reconstructdrinking.com uh, Um, That's the website um, and you can just hit the link to um, get a, you know, free 60 minute um, discovery call with me to just to have a chat about where you're at. So yeah. Sober party people or reconstruct drinking.
0: Yeah. So great. So then let me ask you sort of the final question I ask, which is, you know, if you were to go back in time, especially to some of those really painful moments of, um, of not waking up when your son was crying and, and you were to tell Kim of that time, what life is like now for her, what would you tell her?
1: <laughs> it's just, oh gosh, life is life is a journey and you have to feel your emotions and don't be afraid. Stop hiding I think I was hiding so much um, because I was ashamed of um, not being perfect and that um, nobody is perfect. Everybody feels this way. Um, And so to get comfortable being uncomfortable and um, to, I guess, don't stuff down your emotions. Um, and le- learning that is it's, it, you have to learn it, you know. I didn't know. It took a long time to learn that. But to, to, to be honest, yeah, I think I was hiding so much back then um, and I had to break. I had to break in two before I was able to, um, I guess it all had to come out. But if you're brave enough and you're honest with people, those people close to you, you can get help before you have to break. You know, into yeah. So do that. Life life is just an emotional journey, and uh, and to become strong with your emotions, you have to ride through every single one of them. And now I'm getting better at and enjoying the ride. to the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's so good. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and being so vulnerable. It was just really, really amazing, and
1: really powerful. And I really appreciate it. Thanks, Annie. And, and thanks so much. This is like, a, for me, a full circle has just occurred from when I think back to that first podcast that I listened to you and how that changed my life. And here I am talking to you on the podcast is like
0: oh, how
1: far I've come and how grateful I am that I've been on this journey and I've come out the other side and and thank you thank you so much you um you have really helped me change my life no doubt yeah I'm so glad so thanks Annie
0: Did you miss This Naked Mind Live? (laughs) And do you maybe have a little bit of FOMO? But don't worry, I've got you covered. In fact, I had the entire event professionally recorded and it's available digitally. Transformation in your living room. Yep, that is what it's all about. You can grab your digital ticket at thisnakedmind.com forward slash digital ticket. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.